Hello, welcome to Meet Me at the Movies. Uh, Noel T. Manning II here hanging out with uh, Thomas Manning, uh, as, as pretty much always, uh, unless he decides to sleep in. Uh, and <laughs> we're happy to welcome uh, one of the newest members of the uh, North Carolina Film Critics Association, uh, Jacob Thronberry. Uh, so good to see you. And i got to tell you, the first time that I ever saw your name, I misread it, and, and I kept having these flashbacks to the Wild Thornberries, and I loved that series, man. I loved that series, and I'm sure you've probably gotten that a few times, but but welcome. We're glad to have you, man. Yeah, no, I've, I've gotten that my whole life, um, which doesn't, doesn't bother me. It's a great show, great movie, um, so I have no issue with that, but... Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's made me very memorable to people because <laughs> That's right. I will meet somebody once and they'll say, "Oh, is your name you know the Thornberries?" And I'll say, "No, it's Thornberry, but it is what it is." And then the next time they meet me, they remember me because of that. So, uh, so yeah, I guess it's, it's it's helped in some way. <laughs> but um, but yeah, well, I'm really glad to be here, and I'm glad you asked me to come on. Yeah, we're glad to have you, and uh, we're going to have this as kind of a meet and greet show to get to know who you are and your love of film, but uh, there, there are a lot of folks out there that are wanting to know about this Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, so we thought we'd, we'd break you in right off the bat and we would we'd talk about this film, um, you know, a decade almost in the making to get to this point uh, at, at Volume 3, and, uh, and Thomas and I have had some um, dialogue about it, and we're, we're happy to have you in to talk about your thoughts on this film. It's uh, characters that we met on screen like I said, almost 10 years ago, and we've seen them in various incarnations and in standalone films through the Avengers films and even a holiday special. And, you know, we've all become familiar with them if you're familiar with the MCU. So uh, dive in and give me some of your thoughts uh, on uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and Thomas and I'll chime in as well. Yeah, um, so I think. As me, a huge MCU fan, I definitely feel what everybody else is feeling at, at over the past couple movies, ever since Endgame. It's it's kind of been here or there. There have been films that, um, like Ant-Man and the Wasp, that have been solely to further the story and felt episodic. And there have been films, you know, like Black Panther and like Spider-Man No Way Home that have felt like true standalone movies. And I do think that Guardians is one of those. I think that... Um, there's no mention of the multiverse. There's no mention of even the Avengers or anything um, spread out above that. It's all self-contained in its own story. And I really think that this is one of the few times that Marvel has ever stepped back completely and let James Gunn do what he wants to do. Um, which, you know, because this is the last time he's going to be doing one of these and um, this is the last time a lot of these characters are going to be here. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. But because of that, I felt like this movie felt like the most James Gunn uh, like movie that a movie can be. Um, it felt like it had all of the, his little idiosyncrasies that he loves putting in his movies. The humor was there. But then it got yeah. darker than most mm -hmm. MCU movies got. Not even just in the script, in the filmmaking, and in the directing. Um, certain scenes had me truly like clasping the armrest because I was like, yeah. "This is not 
what you usually see from an MCU movie. Um, and so between all of that, between Rocket Raccoon's uh, origin story, which might yeah. be one of the most hard-to-watch origin stories from any film yeah. character ever, um, and between that and the true culmination and finality of the Guardians as we know it, um, I truly loved it. I thought it was... Um, I didn't think it was a perfect movie. I definitely thought that there were some issues here and there, but I thought it was... I, I, I thought it was the best that James Gunn could have done in the confines that he was set in. Thomas, go ahead and chime in. Yeah, and you mentioned how dark it gets in some aspects, and a lot of that is you know, on the shoulders of the high evolutionary, the villain in this film. And a comparison I made when I was talking to somebody else, so one of my friends who hasn't seen the movie yet but was asking how it was, and I mentioned uh, going back to the first Toy Story movie, uh, the character of Sid who did all these just horrible, horrifying experiments on these toys. And of course in a Pixar movie it's going to be dialed back a little bit, but even that as a child that scarred me in a sense. And in this, and in this it's that times 10 because we have the high evolutionary doing all these experiments on animals. Of course they're not real animals, they're CGI creations, but they are, we've grown so emotionally connected to these characters that seeing them go through these just traumatic events is for us, the audience, almost like a secondhand trauma as well. So, um, yeah, so I think definitely not for the younger audiences. I think you could get away with taking your kids to some MCU movies for sure, but this one, I wouldn't say anybody younger than, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, they would uh, probably walk away from this with some, so, definitely some uh, heavy scarring. So, <laughs> Well, I, you know, I blame your parents, Thomas, for taking you to see Toy Story 3. <laughs> Uh, and not preparing you for, or Toy Story uh, with Sid. I, I, I blame your parents for that. Uh, I, give me the numbers. I, I'll text them, talk to them, and maybe we can set up some um, some times for you to have some really good dialogue with somebody that might be able to help you <laughs> through this trauma. But yeah, you nailed it, Thomas. That that um, you know, seeing these creatures, you did feel emotionally connected. And Jacob, you mentioned that too. There there was there was really heart in this and. Uh, you you cared about these characters. You cared about Rocket. You you know you knew uh, that that Rocket Rocket was kind of tortured. You knew something was going on with him throughout these films. You just never really knew exactly why, unless of course you 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 know the canon that was that was placed in uh, the comics and the source material. But the way it was presented, just man, it just uh, my you know my eyeballs were sweating a few times. I got to tell you, uh, I could really feel it. Um, the um, religious uh, symbolism uh, throughout this film too. You had elements of, of Moses, you had elements of Noah that were showing up in this, mm -hmm. and um, and just the brokenness of these characters. Uh, every character was broken in some way, whether it was uh, physically, uh, emotionally, or mentally, and uh, yet we kind of discover that everybody's got purpose, even in that brokenness. Uh, that imperfection is what makes us perfectly compatible with the world around us if we choose to do it together. And that's something that really spoke to me, and I really love that about this film. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Um, and I think going through with what the film is doing and how they're protecting the family, because I think that's one thing for me that really stood out 
the Guardians have always been. I get that Fantastic Four is Marvel's first family, but the Guardians are the MCU's first family. They are the, you know, they are the group of ragtag people that came together, and that's yes. what the Guardians movies have always been, is a found family story. And I really love that that was highlighted the most in this movie, whether it be uh, Nebula telling Gamora that they're trying to save uh, Rocket because he's family, um, or, you know, it you see Quill doing what he does and going to extreme lengths because he says that's his best friend, that's his brother, that's his family. Like, And I think that a lot of that was truly highlighted in, the, um, in how much they cared for one another. And I, going back to Rocket's, you know, very traumatic story, I think there's a lot of the times that something like that could be classified as, you know, manipulative and trying to make it as traumatic as possible for the sake of making the audience sad. But I really feel like with this movie and with how Rocket's storyline has been over the past two movies, four outings, whatever he's had, it really does feel earned because he's always been the one person who has been quiet about his past, who hasn't shared yeah. what his what his past has been, who has always had this underlying angst about him. And I mean, if if, if what happened to him happened to me, I'd probably be the same way. Mm. I, I truly like I I understand yeah. what it what it is, and you kind of finally understand what he's going through. And and there's a line yeah. in this movie that happens you know, towards the third act um, that really flips all of the Guardians movies and outings almost on their head and makes you rethink how you've been looking at every outing so far. We always look at it as, you know, Star-Lord is the main character, Star-Lord is the leader. Um, But when they say that line, and I'm not going to say it now, you really start to think about... (laughs) Who who have these stories been about? And it makes me want to go back and watch the Guardians and see yes. how Gunn has been putting all of these small things in in here, in here, and here that really tells that story that he's trying to get across in Guardians Volume Three. And I think that it really, really works in that aspect. Yeah, a beautiful film to me. Um, the uh, everything from a technical aspect really clicked. Um, the uh, the sound design and mixing, the cinematography, the editing, all those things really, really worked for me. Thomas, I know that there was one thing that did not work for you as a whole uh, relating to sound. Yeah, definitely, uh, as far as the needle drops are concerned, I didn't think everything hit quite as seamlessly as it did in the first two films. Uh, I think you go back to the opening of the first film with Come and Get Your Love, that kind of set the pace for the needle drops throughout the entire runtime, and I thought everything in that just melted together so beautifully. And I think the second film built on that even further, uh, from Mister Blue Sky to uh, you know Fleetwood Mac's The Chain to Father and Son, Cat Stevens there the finale. Uh, and in this film, it, I really like the way it opens with uh, the Radiohead song, the acoustic with the camera slowly glid- gliding through the opening credits. Bradley Cooper singing like again. A, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I didn't even put that together. You're exactly right. I love that. <laughs> and uh, But then in the middle act, I thought some of the needle drops felt like, okay, we got to put these in because it's kind of a jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we get to the third act and everything starts falling into place more. And when we get to 
um, the Beastie Boys, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Um, that's I think it's always like a perfect metaphor for that kind of imbalance in the middle part of the film. There was some something of an imbalance in the needle drops because there was an imbalance in the characters, and but then they all come together and they're all working together, and uh, the music is just you know blending beautifully with the action and the filmmaking and um yeah so as soon as you hear that needle drop with the beastie boys um you know just hold on because you're in for <laughs> you're in for a treat for the next like five minutes after that and really for the rest of the film yeah beautiful story to me uh, a beautiful film and I, I just came out going wow this is just it's beauty and it's a wonderful closure for me it was a wonderful uh, way of, of learning this origin story as traumatic as it was I'm glad we got to see it within this package and I think that worked so so well uh, just you know final comment I'm going to make is that I will revisit this film several times while it's in theaters I did see it in uh, IMAX uh, and the sound was unbelievable as well as the the picture and I'm, I'm I think I'm going to be checking this out in, in 40x as well just because I want to. I want to know what the raccoon smells like. So that's the reason I'm going to do that. Uh, Jacob, any final comments uh, before uh, we give our uh, our rating? Yeah, uh, I guess final comments before um, I have to highlight the CGI because I think that that's been a big issue with Marvel projects over the past couple of times. And I thought that the CGI in this was actually you can tell that they have taken the brunt force of of all of the kind of storm that came with them from She-Hulk she and all of that. And now you see them starting to spread their projects out, and I really think it shows, especially in this one, because I thought that the CGI, the character designs, um, all of the animals, like you said, like, of course they didn't look, like, uber realistic, but they still looked better than a lot of what um, a lot of what has been happening, so... Uh, so yeah, that's just probably the last thing I wanted to highlight was was very very good CGI work. I think. All right, Th Thomas. Final thoughts before we uh, dive in. And Jacob, just so you can start thinking about it, when we give our grades, they're based on a report card, so it's like an A to F that's or A, exactly a plus what I to use, an F. So perfect. All right, all right, cool. Yep. All right, Thomas. Final thoughts. Oh, uh, just the storytelling language that has that James Gunn has developed with these characters over the past nine years, and with the third film of the trilogy. There's almost been a, um, a bridge that's been built between the audience and the characters and um, he kind of meets us right perfectly in the middle in this film and uh, so yeah I just absolutely absolutely loved it and so hats off to James Gunn. Alright Thomas what's your rating for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? And uh, my rating is a solid A for Guardians Volume 3. Alright uh, Jacob how about you? My rating is also an A, and I think DC fans should be very excited for what they've got coming. Right there with you, a solid A across the board. A for me as well for Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3 right here on Meet Me at the Movies. Uh, we are joined by Thomas Manning uh, and Jacob Thronberry. And, and Jacob, where can people find you if they wanted to find your work online anywhere? Go ahead and let them know that right off, and then we'll come back after the break and talk more about how you got into this love of film. All right, well, you can find me on Twitter at tbear 57 and on Letterboxd at tbear 57 And if you want to find my written review of Guardians, where I kind of rambled for a very long time, um, you can find <laughs> that at In Session Film. It was posted this morning. Awesome. Uh, we're going to take a quick intermission right here on Meet Me at the Movies. We appreciate everybody spending time with us. 
whether you're doing that on C19 TV or through WGWG. Appreciate you so much. Uh, hang around. We've got a lot more. We're going to learn uh, more about Jacob and his uh, love of cinema right after this quick break. Won't you come and meet me at the movies? Won't you come and watch a For many kids, just showing up to school is a challenge. Staying through graduation is even harder. So at Communities and Schools, we do just what our name says. Our staff brings a community of resources to meet each student's needs right in their school, doing whatever it takes to keep kids focused so they see what we see, a bright future. Join in at communitiesandschools.org. And welcome back into Meet Me in the Movies. I am Thomas Manning, joined as always by Noel Manning, and we have special guest Jacob Thronberry here to join us. And uh, I've known Jacob on Twitter for a few years, uh, but I've never actually really carried on a conversation with him. So I think this is the first time we've actually met each other on Zoom. And uh, so really great to have you here, Jacob. And you and I come somewhat from the same generation. I think you're a couple years older than me, but uh, we're both kind of a bit of the on the younger side of the the film critics game here uh so i just want to have you share a little bit about your background as a movie lover and as a cinephile and at, you know what point in your life did this love for movies kick in and how did that kind of shape the path for where you are today sitting on the show with us on meet me in the movies yeah um i mean from a really young age i'd always loved storytelling and i'd always loved um, I'd always love movies in a different way than what um, than what my friends would appreciate. Uh, my first movie I ever remember going to was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And uh, I think at that point I was maybe four. Um, but I vividly remember being in the theater and seeing what was on screen. Um, and through that, I just... You know, it was always something that I loved, but never something that I truly embraced. And then my freshman year of college, I moved away in 2015, and um, I moved away from home, and I was having a hard time making friends and meeting people. And at that point, I turned to movies, and uh, I really started watching more. I would watch one or two a day. I had a whole list, and I was intaking some of the most profound and intricate cinema that I had ever seen in my entire life and I'd really really started falling in love with it um, and wanting to talk about it more and from then 
you know, that's when I got into the actual entertainment side of things. And that's when I got into the writing side of things. And, and that has just branched off to, you know, me getting my minor in film studies and now me going off to get my master's in film studies and trying to continue that line, um, because of what I gained over the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, it really was something that just kind of, I guess, out of loneliness, <laughs> um, I could say, I really just was able to, um, to almost escape and use it as escapism and find my own, uh, path through, through watching movies and through putting myself in the lives of these characters. There is a comfort in being able to do that. And, uh, you find yourself, uh, developing friendships and relationships with these characters within these storylines. We talked about that before the break is how we, we all, have come to know and love and appreciate the Guardians. And um, as you've been diving in deeper to films, as you talked about during college, you know, you've had a chance to reflect a little bit. And, and we did give you some talking points so you could have some time to think about this. But, you know, if you were going to name, uh, you know, uh, some films, maybe three films that define you, and not three favorite films, but, but three films that you could say, okay, this, this speaks to who I am, who I want to be, or or what I think of myself, throw out a few of those films and maybe why. Uh, the first one I'm going to say is actually my favorite movie of all time, and that is Bo Burnham's 8th Grade. Um, I grew up, you know, I was in middle school when Bo Burnham first started uh, first started getting popular. I, was, I remember being one of the first couple thousand people who subscribed to him on uh, YouTube. Uh, one of my friends in middle school showed me him. And uh, there were just a lot of times where in middle school that I would feel, you know, alone and feel, you know, how middle schoolers feel and I'll be able to go back to that. And so for him to make a movie about eighth grade, about one of the most awkward, weird points of your life and to do so in a way that highlights unknown anxiety and um, that kind of pushback with your parents and the pushback with yourself and really find the beauty in self-discovery at that age um, was really, really special to me. And then um, another movie that almost feels like a spiritual sequel, in my opinion, to 8th Grade is Cha-Cha Real Smooth that came out last year. Um, and with Cha-Cha Real Smooth, it kind of hit me at a point that was almost perfect, almost perfectly lined up with the movie. I was post-college. I had a job I hated, I had a life that I was, you know, wanting to do all of these other things, and I just didn't know how to do them, so I was always chasing, you know, to find that um, kind of solidarity in life, and and once I, once I stepped back and let it come to me, that's when I uh, was really able to start going forward. Um, and then my last one, the last one is the one I struggled with probably the most, but it is one that has always been my favorite. Um, you know, ever since I was younger, I went and visited uh, the place that was filmed and went and visited the house that uh, that they were standing outside side of for the most of it. But um, it's The Truman Show. I think Jim Carrey, in my opinion, is probably one of the greatest actors who's ever lived. Um, I have a giant poster. My parents got me a poster of it from... Um, it's a theatrical poster from the release, um, and it's framed up on my wall. It, uh, I just love 
I love taking, in my opinion, I think comedic actors are probably some of the best actors ever. They know how to dig into their own pain and into their own hurt. And they know that they want to make people laugh because they don't want to make people feel how they do. And I think Jim Carrey in that movie is unknowing. He's in this new world. He's in this new place that um, that is so foreign to him. Um, and he feels safe and he feels like he knows everything, but he truly never does. Um, and I think that ending of you know deciding, oh, I could stay in a place that feels safe to me and just live my life, or I could go off into the unknown into an entire new world that I've never, um, I've never even thought about is to me, it's, it's the, it's the best ending in my opinion of all time. It's that decision he makes to kind of go off into the dark that the unknowing that is so beautiful to me. Um, but I probably say that those are the three that, uh, that really try to define me and probably three of my favorites of all time. Wow, beautiful, beautiful choices, beautiful films, and the variety of those I love as well. We've really got just a couple minutes, but no, Thomas, I wanted to get you to, to dive in and ask one more question. And, Jacob, we'll bring you back because we've got a lot of other questions to ask you. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try to get you back once a, once a month to talk movies. But, Thomas, go ahead and dive in with a final question. All right, so is there one particular you know film or filmmaker that you can look to their work anytime that – you might be going through something, going through a difficult time or going through adversity that you know that you can turn to that that movie or that director and they'll always lift your spirits and you know give you a brighter perspective on things. Um, the one the one filmmaker, it's a group of filmmakers that I have to highlight with this would be Phil Lord and Chris Miller. And I'm going to broaden that out um not just Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the movies that they've directed, but the movies that they've written and produced. Um, everything that they've touched, to me, has been gold, whether it be 21 and 22 Jump Street, some of the best comedies of the past 30 years. Um, the Lego movie, I a genuine masterpiece, and I think one of the most surprising and shocking films that has come out in quite some time. And the reason for me where I think... Mario failed because the Lego movie didn't. Um, or you've got Into the Spider-Verse, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and then you've got uh, The Mitchells vs. the Machines and all of these that feel comforting in different sorts of ways. Lego movie is someone who feels normal that wants to be extraordinary. Same with Sp Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, Mitchells vs. the Machines, you've got someone who is almost like at war with their parents and trying to learn how to love each other. And I just think everything that they've done has been absolutely gold um, and has been, in my opinion, some of the best things that cinema has ever created. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, Jacob Thornberry, thank you so much for spending time with us right here on Meet Me at the Movies. And we're really looking forward to having you back. Uh, to talk more about your uh, your love of film and uh, to review more films as well, Thomas. Yeah. Um, thank you as well, man. And uh, I'm going to uh, wrap things with a movie quote of the week as I always try to do. This comes from a gift from my favorite daughter. It's uh, the cult uh, movie uh, quote book, uh, and that is my favorite daughter, Catherine, who gave this to me. And this particular quote sounds like it could be one that was from Guardians of the Galaxy, but it actually came from uh, Repo Man from 1984. It happens sometimes. 
people just explode. Natural causes. So there is the movie quote of the week. Uh, and thanks to Repo Man and to Catherine uh, for uh, for getting me this book that just never uh, fails to uh, provide love and, and, and content for this show. Uh, Jacob, uh, once again, where can people find you on social? Uh, at TBear57 on Twitter. And then you can find everything awesome. from there. Awesome. Well, uh, until next time, for Meet Me in the Movies, really do appreciate you spending time with us, Jacob. And Thomas, as always, thanks for uh, your insight as well. And you can uh, email us, info at c19.tv, and you can also catch this uh, on the radio, uh, WGWG, or on TV, C19TV. Until next time, for Meet Me in the Movies and for the cast and crew here, that's a wrap. We'll gladly fill you in. We'll tell about the happy and the sad ones We'll talk about the good ones and the bad ones Many films to view Till we meet again